Okay. Okay. Here we go. So, welcome back to Cracks in Postmodernity with a very special guest today who uh, we go way back to college. Yes. yes. So, Daniel Mendez, also known as D-Mendez. Um, you do a lot of things, Daniel. You produce, you write, you sing, you play all kinds of instruments. Um, so tell us just a little bit of your background with music. How did your relationship start with music? Sure. Um, I guess one of my first experiences with music is with the marching band, oddly. My uncle was a um, band director for Atlantic City High School marching band. And um, I guess the early 90s, um, he was very influential with bringing like the Southern style of marching bands to the North in uh, New Jersey area. So he was very much involved with mixing old school with current music, also with the dance routines and just how everything came together. It was like a really big experience for me, like as a kid. Um, so yeah, he realized that I was interested in music. And at four years old, he put me as a little drum major with the pan. So I was learning all the dance routines with the girls and just being around like hundreds of high school kids playing music around you. Like it was really my first experience um, in a musical environment that I can remember. Um, one thing that really stood out to me, I remember being in my mom's car and um, I think it was Broadway by George Benson came on the radio. And then when we got to the football game, the band like played the exact song, like the dun, mm -hmm. dun, da, 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 da. And I was like, wow, like how did they do that? Like as a little kid. So um, this really piqued my interest in wanting to learn more about music. Um, of course, like I heard music in church every Sunday, like my mom was an avid church goer and my grandmother. So I had that culture too, just hearing music and gospel um, in church. My godmom who lived with us at the time was more into jazz. So I had that experience also, but I think the marching band was really my first introduction to music. Mm -hmm. And I think what we first connected on when we met in, um, in college was our shared love for R&B and soul music. So yes. Since we're going to talk a lot about different producers and R&B artists, um, what does R&B mean to you? Like, why does it matter to you personally? Mm. That's a good question. Um, I think just from my upbringing, just having it always be a presence in my life and something that I could connect to, um, it makes me want to contribute to its um, you know, to its existence and just preserving it and, you know, helping it to evolve at the same time. Um, I love the soulful part of R&B. I love that it has a groove, you know, sometimes soul music, you might not have as much as a, a backbeat or a groove sometimes, so I, I feel with R&B. Um, it always keeps a fusion of what's going on in the music culture, you know, like it, evolves with what's going on around um so yeah i think it's just the the stories the songwriting the ability to be able to have different group elements and group moments um you can feel it like for me it's something that's real and that you can feel and just relate to like you feel the struggle you feel the joy you feel um the different elements that make it what it is mm -hmm. Yeah, and like, I don't know, for me, I, you know, I grew up hearing a lot of Motown, like that's mostly what my dad played. In addition to more recent people, like a lot of Sade, uh, Mariah, Whitney, Aretha, all these people. So it wasn't until I guess I was maybe starting high school that I started to develop a relationship with the sound for myself. Because I guess I just started to recognize that these artists, um, the way that the style of singing, but also the production, it really gets to the root of 
their experience, their emotions, but going to the level of the soul, like it's not um, a superficial expression of their experience or their emotions. And there's just like such a, a human depth to it. And I think we can attribute that to the fact that, you know, this style of music is rooted in the spirituals of the slaves. Like it's coming from a really profound pain, suffering, but also this hope that, you know, there's a promise of a greater life. There is something more than this. And even though maybe the social circumstances have changed since then, I think all music that's rooted in the spirituals conveys that very deep human struggle, that tension between like pain, but also hoping for something more that we can all relate to in a way, you know? For sure. Yeah. For sure, for sure. So that being said, um, I feel like in the past, maybe 25, 30 years, like we've seen a lot of different styles of R&B come and go. Like we've seen from disco to new Jack swing to hip hop soul to some of what, I don't know, like the alternative R&B we're hearing today, but some of the major producers, I want to talk about the ones who have kind of left a lasting mark on the genre uh, up until this day. So mm -hmm. who for you are some of the, like the major players in R&B production? Like who are the ones who really stand out to you? Um, for me, I would have to definitely say Teddy Riley, mm -hmm. um, just in the fact that he put a lot of other producers in a position to succeed. Like if it wasn't for Teddy Riley, like we wouldn't have Ronnie Jerkins, we wouldn't have um, Pharrell, you know, like Pharrell was an intern for Teddy. And he just allowed a lot of producers to have their moment, you know. Mm -hmm. So definitely him and his contribution with the new Jack Swing sound, um, I think is important. Um, definitely LA Reed and Babyface, the team that they, the production team that they uh, had going in the 90s, plus with their own music, like with the deal, I think um, they're very important players in the R&B sound. Um, you know, getting more into the 2000s, Pharrell, as I already mentioned, like with the Neptunes, I think they brought something different and unique. Um, also just their versatility into other genres, I think makes them uh, key players for the genre. Um, Timberland, um, The Dream. Um, yeah, I think the ladies are pretty important people. Ronnie Jergens, of course. Brian Michael Cox. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because when you, some of, a lot of these producers, you see that once they kind of establish themselves with R&B, a lot of more mainstream or pop artists start asking them to produce for them. Mm -hmm. So like, for example, I'm looking at this list. So at least with Babyface and L.A. Reid, they become really big with Tony Braxton, with Bobby mm -hmm. Brown. And then, you know, you have Madonna asking them to produce R&B-ish kind of uh, track for them. I think it was, um, I think it was Take a Bow. It was like mid-90s or something. And then now like Ariana Grande's debut album, which is a little bit of a fusion of like um, a Whitney Mariah inspired R&B with some Broadway kind of stuff. Um, or like with... Um, with Rodney Jerkins, with Dark Child. He does a lot of these late 90s, early 2000s, so like Brandy Monica, some of Beyonce's tracks, J-Lo, and then you have him producing Telephone for Lady Gaga. So you see yeah. that like there's this versatility, but you know, even when they're doing these pop tracks, you hear the R&B roots, they're still there. It's a hint in there, yeah, for sure. Why and I think that's important, know. yeah. No, I, I was just going to say, I think that's important um, as a producer, just in general, to have your own sound or your own style. And even if you're doing another genre, um, to just have that mark that people still know it's you. Um, and if who you are is rooted in a certain genre, then of course, you're going to have hints of that in the other styles that you produce. So I think that's, that's a good key of being a great producer, is having your own 
sound and your own style and sticking to that. Why do you think that is that so many of these like more mainstream pop artists took an interest in these R&B producers? Um, I think coming out of the 90s, like, well, I guess 80s into 90s, R&B was such at a forefront, like in the industry. Um, like you had a lot of pop acts at the time, like doing R&B sounding tracks. Um, there was a documentary, I don't know if you saw it, uh, This Is Pop on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And it was really talking about like, um, like Boys to Men when they first came out and how all of a sudden it was 98 Degrees, Backstreet Boys, like all these other boy bands, like right after trying to do this boy band R&B sound that Boys to Men had already established. So like you definitely have something with, if something is working, people want to jump on the bandwagon and reproduce mm-hmm. it. Um, so yeah, I think with R&B having such a wave in the 90s that the pop industry, the pop side of it said, yeah, you know, why not influence some of that and have that be the sound of today? You know, if it's working, that's what we need to be doing. So. Yeah. And just speaking of the boy bands, you see that a lot of the producers, like they'll start a boy band of their own that they'll produce for. So like take, you have Jermaine Dupree with the So So Deaf sub-label. He has Jagged Edge. Diddy does 112 for Bad Boy. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe Face does Boys to Men. I'm forgetting who else there is. I mean, Jodeci was... Um, Jodeci. Who, um, who were they, they were, working with? They were with Uptown Records with... Um, Andre. Andre, yeah. Yeah, okay. So yeah, you have a lot of these boy bands. Who do you think is the best out of all of them? How's the best? <laughs> oh, that's really hard. I don't know. I think they all contribute like something different. Um, like boys to men, like their harmonies, I think mm-hmm. is one of their main characteristics. Um, and just their vocal talent. I think like with Jodeci, you have more of an edgy influence the way that the tracks were it was more like rough whereas opposed to boys to men was trying to put a more like clean universal image type thing um jodeci was speaking more to like the culture of hip-hop like the culture like their people where they came from type sound um yeah so i think it's hard to like pick a favorite but i love jodeci like some of their (laughs) songs boys to men from time to time like Drew Hill, I like some of their yeah. songs too. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I'm partial to anything Jermaine Dupri produces. So, I mean, I think it's the production of Jagged Edge's songs, but also the vocals, I think, are really strong. I mean, you're right about the Boys to Men harmony, but Jagged Edge, I feel like, doesn't get enough credit. Yeah. Yeah, true. Mm. They had the one with. Um, what was it? The let's get married the run with the let's run get married. mix yeah that one was popular I mean one twelve mm-hmm. had a lot of I think they had a couple of bigger ones yeah because they did what they're the ones who did peaches and cream peaches and cream they yeah. did the yeah. only you with big yeah so that's the guy groups what about the girl groups what do you so we have. <sighs> So Rodney worked mostly with Destiny's Child. I think he got the mm-hmm. most of their hits. Then you have TLC. You have TLC. Escape. Yeah. Um, 3LW was short-lived. Wow, I, I forgot. Oh, no. <laughs> Who produced 3LW? I forget. Is that know. Rodney? I'm, I'm not even going to say I'm not sure about that. 3LW. 3LW. Girls. Um, that was so so deaf. Oh, the cheetah girls. The cheetah girls. (laughs) So, which of the girl groups would you pick? Um, TLC. I just like the versatility of the members and how it came together as a group. Um, like everyone brought something different. Like T Boz's tone is so unique just in itself you know her raspiness and her tone of voice mm-hmm. um when you mix that with chili and left eye with the rap bringing something different i think 
like they're a unique group. Um, yeah, Destiny's Child, like I remember listening to them more when I was younger. Um, I would have to say, yeah, probably Destiny's Child I was listening to the most, but I don't know if that's just because it was popular in my youth. So it was like, that was the thing to listen to. I mean, it's um, really only because <laughs> Kelly and Michelle, she let them get a word in, but you know, uh, one line here or there. Poor Michelle. Trying to keep up. And there was En Vogue. There was um, what was the oh, yeah, other the 90s one? Ones, yeah. En Vogue. En Vogue. There was another was one. Jade. I'm forgetting. Jade. Was, yeah. Um, There was one that sounded like En Vogue. But yeah, En Vogue, I would probably pick overall. Yeah. I don't think Escape gets enough credit because like yeah. Tiny and um, Candy Burris, I mean, they have pretty good voices. Yeah. And their careers, like after that with writing because they wrote Scrubs and some other hits for yeah. other mm-hmm. people. So, I mean, definitely extremely talented artists and writers um yeah i'm trying to think of someone else well if we move a little bit forward in time i would say like when we were finishing high school starting college i think neo and the dream like had a huge influence um because they had a lot of really big hits um but distinct styles how would you distinguish their styles? Like the dream, I feel like this is work with female artists. He knows the type of record to make for each artist. Like his work with Beyonce, his work with Mariah, his work with uh, like Rihanna. Like you can they don't sound like the same song was given to each of them. So this is something that I appreciate. Um, he allowed for people who have like bigger voices to shine and then something catchy for people who might not, I don't mean to be shady or anything, but yeah. it's like, you know, like he manufactured something that was a well fit for the, for the artist. So I think this is a good uh, characteristic as a producer um, and also like, he knows how to put out something commercial that's going to be like an anthem that's going to, you know, have that type of hit factor. Like, you know, he knows what the industry wants in this regard and he gives it to him. Like, yeah. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> the dream, it's much more um, the production, I don't want to say artificial, but like a lot of 808s, mm-hmm. it's very bass driven, very electronic. Whereas Neo is a little more acoustic, usually guitar driven, yeah. very sentimental. Um, I don't know. I mean, I respect Neo, especially as a songwriter, but I feel like yeah. I gravitate towards the style of the dream because, like, there's something about that electronic production that has, uh, I don't know, it's powerful, it's catchy. Yeah, it's powerful and it fits commercially because so many other styles and genres use this, uh, like the 808s, the electric. Um, mm-hmm samples so when you blend that with r&b plus the vocal production that um is going on as well in the songwriting like you have something that like i was saying earlier it's a recipe for a good hit you know if it's done correctly yeah and i i think it's interesting that um so like when Mariah started to get more artistic freedom to do like R&B and a little bit of hip hop, she went with Jermaine Dupree. And I think like mm-hmm. they vibed really well together for several albums. Mm-hmm. But then I think we were seniors in high school when Memoirs of an Imperfect Angel came out. She did Obsessed with the Dream. And then the rest of the album was was him. Like I don't think Jermaine mm-hmm. had anything. And it's... 
I don't know. It was an interesting move because they were, she and Jermaine were doing so well together and had a very distinct sound. Like it was poppy, but still rooted in soul, had a hip hop edge. Whereas the memoirs album with the dream, again, like very electronic, but I feel like she knew her voice was starting to fade. So Mm. backing it up with that heavy bass, the 808, the electronic production, it kind of complemented the um, her her voice because she wasn't belting as much anymore. Like it was getting mm-hmm. very raspy, very like breathy. I don't know. It, it was interesting how they kind of she paired up with him at the right time. I feel like, yeah, yeah. and that's part of like the producer's job is to find um, what fits for you, like in the mm-hmm. moment, you know. So like they'll notice if vocally it's not you know at a certain place where it was before something like that and they know how to get around that musically and to compliment you in the right way like that's their job so like with that you know he was on point (laughs) so let's focus now on some of like i guess the more hip-hop driven producers who have worked with r&b artists so like i'm thinking of swizz beats and what he did for beyonce's Mm -hmm. b-day album um because he considers so it was um it was upgrade you it was get me bodied it was ring the alarm Mm -hmm. he says that like those are the greatest songs he's produced and the fact that he gave them to beyonce was like a huge gift to her um yeah i mean i've always been really fascinated by those tracks because Mm -hmm. he's just bringing together so many elements like yes it's a very hip-hop production but Mm -hmm. I also think those are some of her best vocal performances. Mm. So the fact that he's complementing these powerful vocals with the very heavy, gruff hip hop production. I don't know. I thought that was a very creative kind of mix. No, I love Get Me Body. Everyone does. <laughs> Everyone must. Uh, Many memories of that song. Yes. But yeah, no, just his, uh, just in general, like his drum programming and the different cadences and stuff he uses really always brings an extra push, like on the production end, like, you know, it's him kind of, you know, when you hear the drum track, mm-hmm. he has a, he has a signature with it. So, um, yeah, I think when you have this heavy beat, it pushes you a little more vocally because you have to, you know, sing on top of that so when stuff is more poppy you know your voice has more space I guess you don't have to be as as hard like when you execute the vocal but with these rough drums and stuff like that like it forces you to kind of push a little more it might bring things out of you that you didn't even know were there in the beginning yeah because the get me bodied beat like he's borrowing a lot a lot from like the southern bounce kind of sound mm-hmm. and you even hear when she's singing she has she has more of the southern accent mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, and with upgrade you i think that one was creative because he's sampling um i think it was a betty betty wright song from the 80s mm-hmm. or something but these very comp you know kind of juxtaposing it with these kind of harsh horns and then the Jay-Z um, verse, it's, it's just creative. You know, it's very original. But on the other hand, like, I think as time went on, we started to see this trend with like more of these hip hop producers working for R&B artists. And like, I think when we were finishing college, we saw DJ Mustard taking over everything. Yeah. And it's okay, the beats are very catchy. But become so formulaic after a while. Mm, like yeah. now everybody, especially the people who had not had a hit in a while, people were who were, who were irrelevant. Now they want to DJ mustard beats so they can magically get on the charts again. But it, I don't think he really allows for the individual individuality of the artist to come through. It's just yeah. the catchy beat which he recycles again and again. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, and this is something like. At some point, it's like, wow, is it better just for the producer to have the album and have the artist featured? Because you're not giving something unique to each artist. You know, you can't 
tell who is who at the end of the day. I mean, like you might be able to tell their vocal tone, <laughs> but musically it's like, what are they saying? You know? So yeah, I definitely understand that with the DJ Mustardo. Yeah, some people are yeah, <laughs> desperate to stay relevant. But mm. so let's move on to um, this question of like a career driven by actual artistry and you know craft as a musician versus your persona or the hype built up around you. And like, you know, the main kind of people we've talked about in the past are people like Beyonce and Rihanna, who, you know, Mm -hmm. have become very big and remain relevant over these years. But, you know, if we start with Beyonce, you know, she's trained as a vocalist, um, Mm -hmm. but doesn't continue in that vein. Like, what what did you see Mm -hmm. happening to her as her career kind of continued? Um, that's an interesting question. I mean, yeah, I definitely, personally, like, I consider her as a vocal artist. Um, like, her art is most strong in the vocal category. I feel she works very hard, and, I mean, she deserves the level that she is because she puts in the work, you know, behind the scenes. It's not that easy to have that type of vocal perfection and also to dance on top of that and to um, be on point, you know, all the time. It takes a lot of behind the scenes rehearsal training and stuff. So I definitely give her her props in that regard. Um, It's just musically for me, I feel whatever the trend is, is like, she's gonna do it, you know? Um, Just in the past couple of years, hearing her like kind of do the talk sing thing for me is like, uh, you're a singer, like I want you to sing, you know, like doing this talk almost rap type thing. Like, I don't think it's necessary. Like, I don't feel that she's at the level where she should have to do this to be relevant. Like, you know, you're Beyonce. I don't know if um, personally, if that's her choice or not, like, because I know a lot of time with management and your team, you might not have as much of the say-so. Um, I guess more for new artists. <laughs> you might not have as much of the say-so in the direction um, that you want to go. So you're forced to do whatever the flavor of the week is. But I think at her level, um, you know, it's not necessary. Um, and I'm looking forward to her getting back to stuff like she was doing in the beginning. Um, like this style that she was doing when she first came out, where it was more soulful, like she was singing a lot more. You could hear different textures of her voice. Um, So yeah, I mean, I feel she's doing a lot, making different social stances and stuff like that, which is good with the music, with the visuals um, and things from time to time. So that's important too, like that's a part of her artistry. but yeah, like I would love for her to do like a soul album at one point, just to see like how that would come out. Yeah, because I mean, she could. Because yeah, like mm-hmm. when you think back to Dangerously in Love, very deeply mm-hmm. rooted in, you know, kind of traditional soul slow jams. And even in the samples, you know, from like 70s, 80s songs. And then still with B-Day, you do see... I would say more powerful vocals, but still, again, a lot of depth, a lot of texture. Yeah. It changes though with the I Am Sasha Fierce with Thor. Mm. You see her, Four. it's just kind of not flat, but not very deep at least. Like there isn't anything mm. that provocative about the vocals. And then from the Beyonce album afterwards, like, yeah, a lot of rap singing. Um, I don't know like I feel like she's kind of abandoning the vocal artistry for mm-hmm. building up this hype and you know mm-hmm. it's it is artistic in itself but I do think you lose some integrity when you kind of leave behind the work of developing your vocals and you know mm-hmm. but at least she's not Rihanna who I mean I don't really know <laughs> what what <laughs> does Rihanna do I don't I don't know if I can consider her an artist can you consider her one I think she's a good businesswoman at yeah. this point. Fair. I think she's doing well. Um, 
in that aspect. And if you look at it, you know, she was involved with the music business. <laughs> and, um, you know, she did what she needed to do to promote herself. People would see her, for her to build her brand. And then after, um, you know, she's at the place she is now. Um, it's just the way the industry goes sometimes. If you have a certain look, if you can sing a little bit, um, and if you have a team around you that's going to push you here or there, like, you know, it can work. And it's a shame um, now that there's so many people who are actually, um, you know, striving to do music and to sing and to be artists and this and that. And then sometimes you just see people who might have a pretty face and just might be able to carry a little tune, you know, and it pops off for them while other people are really like, you know, putting their life effort into it. Building something so, um, because I feel like she's totally manufactured by a team. Like, I don't know what she, yeah. I don't think she brings anything of her own to the table other than like mm -hmm. her looks, or because someone else is dressing her, someone else is writing the mm -hmm. songs, producing the songs. I don't even think she dances, so it's like it's just like you're a manufactured persona, which is still an interesting one, but I don't know if it's hers. Yeah. And I don't know if we will ever know. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> mystery, indeed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. But then, like, we have had these powerful vocalists, even musicians. Like, I always think about what happened to Jennifer Hudson, what happened to Alicia Keys, who are artists who are extremely talented, but I guess never really found a niche that, um, that was marketable or I guess the market changed yeah I love Alicia like when she first came out I think that was her mm -hmm. you know like her first two three albums um I think that was more her after I think like the same situation with Beyonce she tried to go more pop and see how she could be more mainstream I guess but for me, like she was already mainstream doing what it was that yeah. she does, you know? So I don't that think was a it's weird a, a move. need yeah, for everyone to feel that they need to do something pop. I mean, it's cool if that's what she wanted to do artistically, you want to try um, a new style, like do your thing, but like don't lose your way, I feel, mm -hmm. you know? Or it's a way to do it and still keep the essence of um, who you are. Like, I don't know. But yeah, it was really weird for me, Alicia. Um, I was home, like back in the state, um, over the summer, and they had a concert on TV One that okay. she did. But it was just her and the band. It was no audience, so it was a little awkward because there was like nobody. Yeah. <laughs> but I didn't know any of the songs. I knew like one or two that she sang for the concert, and I was like, "What are the rest of these songs?" Like I don't know. And I was waiting to hear like you know the old favorites. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, I know as an artist, you want to promote your new work and this and that, which is great, but it's like maybe a little nostalgia somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. But me and my mom were very confused about the concert, but I love Alicia Keys and um, she's a very talented songwriter, yes. musician, artist, and I'm looking forward, um, I guess, hearing her get back the stuff she did when she came out like and or you know new stuff i'm i'm into her evolution and she's classically okay, trained yeah. isn't yeah. she in piano mm -hmm. yeah you can yep. hear that influence like you, she mm -hmm. does have the soul the hip-hop but a little bit of the classical edge as well um, yeah. whereas someone like jennifer hudson who's like purely a vocalist the production wise very weird because the first album mm -hmm. i think it was um neo who wrote spotlight which was like a kind of contemporary r b mm -hmm. catchy song she had a couple of like you know a couple of ballads gospelish ones more hip-hop driven and then after that like she had the kind of disco thing which was mm -hmm. weird i don't know what that was but I guess there isn't really a niche anymore for people who are like the Whitney's or the 
the mm-hmm. Slovenes, the Mariahs, who are just straight up vocalists, because yeah. I don't know, like what happened. Um, well, with Jennifer, I feel like I always felt that the production, it was hard to get right because I felt like on the production, I don't know if she was being told to hold back a little bit so that it comes across more commercial with certain songs, mm-hmm. but you can hear that um, it's kind of hard to find a match with her voice because it is so strong to come across commercially, you know? Mm. Um, like with the movies and things like that, she really has a stage and a platform to really just let her voice shine. And I think that's a good avenue that she's doing, you know, in this lane. And I think it just takes a little more work, I don't know, just to to figure out how to get such a powerful voice that she has to um, be captured in this, you know, single format, you know, with commercial music. Um, Whitney was different because her tone, easily come across commercially you know mm-hmm. every song that you know if she wanted to go to church she could but if she wanted to pull back she had that ability to to pull back and still have a lightness to her voice um so i think with that whitney is the best just <laughs> mm-hmm. in general being able to have that control and different tonalities of voice under control um with Jennifer, I think it's just finding the right production that serves her voice well yeah. um, and not trying to fit her voice into a, a mold of, oh, this works for radio, this, you know. So I think, I think that's difficult. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how about blue-eyed soul, as they call it, white R&B singers? Mm-hmm. Who do you think actually? I love them too. Who do you, who do you respect out of the many that exist? There's so many. Like I'm just gonna go old school mm-hmm. for a second. Bobby Caldwell. Oh yes. And Michael McDonald. Like I love. Oh. <laughs> I love Michael McDonald. Like it's so so cool from the Doobie Brothers all the way through. Like. It's legit, like um, the musicianship, <laughs> the tonality of voice, like I love it. Um, like All the Notes is another group, you know, from the 70s. <laughs> no, but they do their thing, you know, do your thing, do your thing. My problem is, and I don't have much of a problem, but it's just when the industry doesn't allow, I don't know, or um, kind of stifles black artists from doing more soulful sounds, but it's okay for like the blue-eyed soul to do it. Like this is yeah. the only thing that that kind of disturbs me. Um, like for me, "Push Your Love Girl" by Justin Timberlake. Justin. Like I love this song. Oh yeah, yeah, Justin Timberlake. <laughs> um, I love this song, but um, like, would Usher be able to do that? Would Chris Brown be able to do that if they wanted to? Like, this is something I question. Like, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe they don't like it. Or maybe they wouldn't want to do it. That's why they don't do it. Um, yeah. But I'm wondering, a part of me wonders if they wanted to do it, would they be allowed? Or do they have to do something always fused with R&B and hip-hop? You know, does it have to always have a hip-hop overtone? Mm-hmm. So if you had to pick out of... Justin Timberlake, Robin Thicke, and John B. Who has the most kind of authentic sound? It's difficult. That's really difficult. (laughs) They all have different sounds, though. Yeah, but at the same time, I don't, because at the beginning, Justin Timberlake was doing a lot of Michael Jackson type Mm -hmm. stuff. It was like, trying to mimic Michael basically and I feel until he got with Timberland he started to have his own kind of sound sonically a little Mm -hmm. bit with the production and the songs 
Um, but I love Justin Timberlake. Um, John B, definitely more soulful, but in the beginning, Babyface was doing a lot of the writing and you can definitely hear Babyface all over him, yeah. you know? So <laughs> it's like, he came into his own. Be really, yeah, later. eventually. But in the beginning, like you always have um, a direct representation of something. Robin Thicke, I'm trying to see, like in the beginning, what do you think? Was he like anyone or was he like more of himself? Um, in the beginning, well, remember he had that album that was not commercially successful before Lost Without You came mm. out, uh, which was like, it was soul, a little folky, very guitarish. But yeah, mm-hmm. Lost Without You. I don't I think like the falsetto, like it's it's soulful, but I don't think mm-hmm. he um I don't really feel all of him on these tracks. At least like mm-hmm. John B, like he's just totally in it. That's him. Robin Thick, I'm not totally convinced by. Did you hear? Um, I just heard an article last week uh, where John B was feeling threatened by Robin Thicke because Babyface signed Robin after or something like that. Really? Yeah, yeah. So it was, yeah, yeah I just read that the other day and he was saying, like, uh, like now they're cool, I guess. But in mm-hmm. the beginning, he was feeling like a little threatened a little bit because he's like, yeah. oh, why did you guys take him like way after? <laughs> Even well, though Robin had a little suicide, but. Yeah. Hmm. So then with the girls, I feel like people like Ariana have overshadowed people like Jojo. Because like Jojo, Mm. look, they're both really great vocalists. I don't think anyone can deny it. Jojo does have like very rooted in soul. And you see like on YouTube, she has these live performances that um, she knows soul. Whereas Ariana... Yeah, like she listened to Whitney and Mariah, but not, you know, and like what's weird to me is that, okay, the debut album, you have, um, who is it? You have Dark Child, no, not Dark Child. You have uh, Babyface making these songs that sound like a throwback to kind of 90s poppy R&B. Mm-hmm. But then now, like, it's just all trap. And I mm-hmm. feel like it's very fake because... One, I think you're just trying to be popular. But two, I think the beats just totally overpower her vocals, but also just yeah. her as a person. It's like she's not present on these trappy kind of songs. I just feel like she's trying too hard. I feel she has her lane that she mm-hmm. wants to make sure that she stays in. Yeah. Um, I mean, which is good. She has a crowd. She has a following. She does her thing. Um, as you said, I hear a lot of Mariah. I hear a lot of Whitney. Strong influence just in the vocal riffs mm-hmm. and um, approach, I guess. Yeah. A lot of Celine, uh, too. Yeah. And for the younger uh, kids and stuff who might not be familiar with the older artists in their repertoire um for them like you know it's something new and fresh so i guess that's another way to think about it mm-hmm. but um yeah jojo like love her and i agree that i feel um she doesn't get as much recognition as she should um maybe just with the look the label situation, like I don't know what's going on with her at the moment, but um, yeah, definitely a, a JoJo fan. Mm-hmm. What about out of the British white girls? Who are you most into? Adele, who else is there? Oh, there's Amy. There's Justin. Oh, Amy. Oh, oh. oh I'll say Amy first. I guess. I'll say Amy first. <laughs> Amy's a jazz singer, though, primarily. Yeah, that's why I'm so jazz. I mean, I respect Adele, but I've never really gotten into her. I I just did lately um, because I'm working with one of the producers who worked on her first album, Frank. Okay. So I didn't even really know this album that much. 
So lately I've been um, listening more and listening to like a lot of the stuff before she came out. So this mm-hmm. is kind of interesting. Um, but as far as like artistry, I feel she's in her own lane, like um, trying to fuse together the jazz with the pop, with the soul. Um, I think the Back to Black album mm-hmm. was something special for her. And um, yeah, Adele, um, definitely killer. Like, you know, with the ballads, like I feel her, I feel something. Josh as well, like when I was younger, I was listening more um, to Josh, but she has a great tone, mm-hmm. very soulful. Like I feel her when she sings. Um, I think that's what it's about. Like, I mean, me personally, I could, I don't care what race the person is who's singing R&B or soul music, but as long as it can be felt and it's not coming across like um, like a gimmick or mimicking someone, and then later looking for some type of um, expectation from people, like I don't think that part of it is cool. But as long as you can be felt. Some people feel you. Um, at the end of the day, I think that's all that matters, you know. Mm-hmm. So then, just to wrap things up, we often talk about like when you watch these award shows, you have people getting lifetime achievements from you know seventies, eighties. Is anyone today gonna last? for another 20 years? Like, who do you think, if anyone, is going to be getting Lifetime Achievement Awards? Well, it's funny you asked that question because I was just confused. I mean, I love Maxwell. Mm-hmm. But he got one uh, for the Soul Train Music Awards coming this weekend. He's like the Lifetime Achievement person. His lifetime hasn't been that long yet. That's what, that's what I was kind I of concerned. Know. I was like, wow. Are we out of people from that like decade? Mm-hmm. Are we starting with the 90s people? Like that's scary. That makes me feel like extra old. Like <laughs> lifetime achievement for people coming out in the 90s. <laughs> like we had to have missed someone somewhere. Like this is ridiculous. I don't know. I mean, I think, shout out yes, to that some of the, the neo soul artists, sure, will be remembered. I mean, they're not. Yeah. Doing that much right now, but well, especially with this whole new wave of R and B going on, with everyone trying to, well, at least a lot of the females is very Erica, yes, um, you know, chill, Aaliyah type vibe, mm-hmm. you know, um, so I think that's going to resurface these people who paved the way for that. Yeah. Um. So yeah, Erica Badu definitely, I think she'll have a lifetime achievement. Um award Jill Scott Alicia, Alicia. yeah uh, John Legend they'll probably give him yeah. one even though he's lost <laughs> <No>. <laughs> that's okay <laughs> we can spare him <laughs> <laughs> on the pop side um god mm-hmm. uh, who, who are you listening D'Angelo yeah he's um, gonna have one definitely um, who today though like who is on your radar yeah. um oh wait hold on can you hear me yes okay um who's who on? Today? um so lately i've actually been listening to another blue eyed soul but it's more in the jazz r&b mm-hmm. soul Tom Mish from UK. Okay. I really enjoy him. He did like a disco groove. Um, he's a guitarist, so a lot of people have been saying like he's next with the John Mayer type vibe. But he definitely um, influences like the beat culture with jazz mm-hmm. and stuff like this. So I really like Tom Mish. I've been listening to him often. Um, I like Alex Isley. Alex Isley. Okay. Um, I think she's the daughter. Is it Alex or Alexa? I think it's Alex. Okay. That's a shame. Alex, but yeah, look that up. 
that Ronald Isley? Uh, the no, it's the daughter the of the guitarist. The guitarist, Ernie. like the brother. Yeah, I think okay. it's his daughter. Okay, that one. But I'm not sure. Do you see Alex? Yes, Alex Isley. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. So um, let's Masego. Masego. Okay, I see Masego here. <laughs> Worked with Alex Isley. Yeah, I haven't been following any of the new people. I mean, I Lucky hear day. stuff. Yeah, like I hear stuff and I'm like, <laughs> it's interesting, but I just don't have the drive. Yeah, yeah, to, to really follow, follow it's like songs. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't have the energy. I'm getting old. But I think... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> like D Mile, just for product production note, I think he's really doing a good job with the production now for the R and B. Like he mm -hmm. did Lucky Day, he did um, the Bruno Mars and Anderson album that just tried to resurface seventies. Oh yeah, R and B. A lot um, of yeah, the, D Mile. What about um? I hear a lot of young people talking about Brant Fayaz. Fayaz, how do you say his name? Oh, I never heard of that. No, he's yeah. like big amongst young people, like very yeah. emo kind of. I don't know. Oh, okay. Ari Lennox is another one I hear a lot about. Very oh, like yeah. style yeah. vocals. Yeah, very good. Who is there? Some other guy, um, Rivers. Giveon. No, it was uh, Leon, Leon Bridges. Leon Bridges, yes. Yeah, I like him too. He's more soulful, but more like, so when he started, he was doing very throwback, like mm -hmm. 80s type sounding stuff. And I think here recently he's been doing, um, I mean, soul, but more in an acoustic manner, you mm -hmm. know, like more down home type yeah. feeling. So, okay. So, then... yeah, definitely check him out. Okay. So, Leon... PJ Morton also. Yes, like, PJ Morton. Yeba. I, I yeah, don't I love them so much, but I know they've collaborated. Oh, I love Yeba. Yeba. Yeah, Drake did her a favor by putting her on that track. <laughs> Got her more attention. Yes. Okay. So more importantly, can you plug some of your music? Where do we find you? Oh, yeah. So on Instagram at Danny Mendez Music um i'm taking a little social break right now but next week i'm getting back in the groove of that mm -hmm. um i'm actually in the middle of working on like my debut project and stuff with some producers mm -hmm. so hopefully next year we'll have like a single and all that mapped out but for right now you can follow me danny mendez music perfect well thank you danielle for joining us oh and thank you it's been we fun we hope we'll have you again. Yes, 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 with pleasure. Indeed.